A group of House lawmakers is out with new legislative proposals addressing vulnerabilities in the defense supply chain. They want the Pentagon to take supply chain security more seriously, especially when it comes to dependencies on China for key materials. Federal News Network's Justin Doubleday has been covering this story, and he joins me now to talk some more about the report. Hey, Justin. Hey, Jared. So where exactly are these recommendations coming from? So these are coming from the House Armed Services Committee's Defense Critical Supply Chain Task Force. Now, it was established earlier this spring. They're looking at defense supplies, but members say they're really motivated by the experience during COVID when it was really difficult for uh, essential workers to find a lot of important stuff like masks and other personnel protective equipment. And that's because a lot of it was made in foreign countries, namely China. Now, Michigan Democrat Alyssa Slotkin co-leads the task force. She spoke at an event hosted by the Center for a New American Security last week. The strategic context was, okay, you know, we've been globalized for 30 years and pushing that idea of, you know, kind of using the whole world to resource what we need here in the United States. And we either didn't know or we didn't care about the vulnerabilities. And along came COVID and really exposed some of those vulnerabilities in a really intense way. And we got to thinking, if it exposed vulnerabilities on the commercial side, what would that mean for the defense supply chain? What would it mean if those vulnerabilities actually were dependencies, particularly on countries like China? It's Michigan Democrat Alyssa Slotkin, the co-leader of the task force that we're talking about with Federal News Network's Justin Doubleday. And and Justin, it's certainly not news that the U.S. has dependencies on China. It's been pointed out in a lot of reports before, including some chartered by the Defense Department itself. What's new in this report and what are they telling the department and the government writ large that they need to be doing about it? Right. It's certainly not a new issue. What's new with this task force is that they're actually proposing legislation that could have the force of law. And, And so they have six major legislative recommendations. Right at the top, they want the the Pentagon to treat supply chain security as a strategic priority. Now, that's the highest level of priority that DOD can give to any given area. And they're saying that DOD and the military services have paid attention to this issue. They've done assessments, and the services kind of pay attention to their own given areas, like the Navy with the shipbuilding industrial base. But DOD hasn't really looked at this from a corporate strategic level, and they want to kind of give it that importance at the Pentagon. Another recommendation is that the Pentagon be required to implement a plan to reduce its reliance on adversarial nations like China. Wisconsin Republican Mike Gallagher is co-chair of the commission, and here's what he said about the China issue. Of course, I want Wisconsin farmers to sell soybeans to China. I don't care if Wisconsinites buy T-shirts from China, but there's a lot of things in between there that get very gray. And so, Justin, what does the report talk about the the Pentagon needing to be focused on specifically? They want the Pentagon to come up with its own framework for identifying key supply chain vulnerabilities. That's part of that sort of strategic priority requirement that they want to put in place. But the task force went and they pointed to four key supply areas as a starting point. Here's Slotkin again. We went through semiconductors, rare earth elements, propellants, and pharmaceuticals. There's been a lot of talk about semiconductors and and chips and and rare earth elements, but I think what we figured out was there's some pretty high-end things that are critical to almost everything the department does. There's some pretty low-end things that could really hamper us if we couldn't get our hands on them. You know, think about what would happen to the force if we had a shortage of antibiotics. Imagine what would happen if we couldn't get insulin. Hmm. 
Uh, and, and Justin, I think part of the problem is that DOD doesn't have a good understanding of its supply chains, maybe at the higher levels, but not once you start to get down into the lower tiers. That was another issue that was pointed out by DOD's own report a couple years ago. Right. They, they know who the prime contractors are, the, the companies who are assembling the end items like missiles, fighter jets, and battleships. You know, their, their names we all know, Lockheed Martin, Raytheon, and, and so on. But the list that Slotkin just pointed out kind of indicates these critical vulnerabilities are in some pretty foundational areas like computer chips and rare earth elements, and even in some areas you wouldn't traditionally think of as traditional defense sources like pharmaceuticals. So the task force interviewed DOD officials, defense industry executives, um, non-traditional defense industry folks as well about what they know about their supply chains. Here's what Gallagher said about those interviews. Well, there were a few moments, whether it was interviewing Pentagon officials or interviewing industry representatives, where the response we got was, well, we simply can't, we can't do it. We can't even go a layer down, let alone two layers down. So I think there's a certain inertia, a certain status quo bias, and a shared sense that this is such an impossible task, informed perhaps by past sector-by-sector, tier-by-tier failures that we need to overcome within DOD. Okay, it's difficult now. You think it's going to get any easier if we're scrapping over Taiwan? Uh, no, let's figure it out in peacetime so that we don't find ourselves on the losing side during wartime. That's Wisconsin Republican Mike Gallagher talking about the task force's recommendations here. And, and one of those recommendations is a statutory requirement for the Defense Department to use commercially available tools that are out there now to map the defense supply chain. Uh, you know, there, there are a lot of different artificial intelligence and machine learning tools out there now, according to the task force that the department could be using to know more about their supply chains at those lower tiers. It'll be interesting to see if DOD can find one that it thinks meets its needs and if it can resist the usual temptation to modify that commercial tool beyond all recognition. Beyond that, Justin, what what else is the task force recommending here? There's probably more than we can get to in this segment, but give us some, some of the other keys here. Sure. A big one is workforce development. You know, the task force found, uh, as you might imagine, because of the decline in manufacturing in the United States, there's also been a decline in trade skills. They recommend a requirement for the Pentagon to establish a coalition among industry groups. And that coalition should include defense contractors, uh, education partners, organizations who already provide some workforce training, other federal partners who who might be focused in some of these manufacturing areas, get those folks together to start coming up with some collective solutions to workforce development for critical supply chains. Uh, And and as you can imagine with these issues, a lot of them center, a lot of the conversations around the supply chain center on reshoring certain things to the United States. And, And this task force did talk about that. They said that the Pentagon should try to move toward reshoring where it's feasible, uh, cost-wise and and otherwise. But they also want the Pentagon to work more closely with allies and partners on supply chain issues. There's this forum called the National Technology Industrial Base. It includes the United States, Canada, the United Kingdom, and Australia. And it's been set up so that those countries could work more closely on technology issues. But the task force says it's kind of being underutilized right now. So they recommend updating the statutory authority that underpins that group so that the U.S. and those countries can collaborate on supply chain policies and technologies, address the over-reliance on Chinese and Russian suppliers together rather than on an individual basis. 
All right, Federal News Network's Justin Doubleday. Thanks very much. Thank you. And you can find Justin's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual, uh, afloat commands. Uh, The first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Uh, And then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, It's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin and what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But 
really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was, you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Um, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to, to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy, and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy, and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From Sea to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon, uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. <clears throat> Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is 
is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. Moms are amazing at tracking down hard-to-find items. Library books, socks, you name it. But sometimes help is welcomed. Care.com makes it easy to find babysitters near you. Sitters with the experience and skills your family needs, like after-school pickup and homework help. You just post a job for qualified sitters to apply. And since all Care.com caregivers are background checked, you can feel confident about interviewing and hiring. To get the child care help you need, sign up now at Care.com. Pop quiz. What can you buy for $3.99? Not a latte, but for less than the cost of a cup of coffee, you can get all your favorite music ad-free. While other streaming services jack up their prices, Live One's membership is only $3.99 per month, and you can lock in that price for a full year. Join now to get the best deal in music with zero ads, unlimited skips, and maximum audio quality. Get the music you love at a price that fits into your budget with Live One Plus. Check out liveone.com slash best music for details. As fall fills up with activities and obligations, even a small time saver can feel like a big help. Grammarly is an all-in-one writing tool that makes clear, concise communication easier than ever. So you can finish your work earlier and head off to family dinners, social events, and fall weddings. Grammarly is free to download and works where you do, so every project gets finished quicker. Make sure your writing is free of mistakes with Grammarly's free, comprehensive writing suggestions and get an instant take on how your message comes across with the free tone detector. Let Grammarly Premium's sentence clarity rewrites help you find the perfect words on the first try. You'll be confident writing client emails, deadline-driven reports, and presentations without staying late at the office. Get more time back in your day by writing with Grammarly. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcasts to sign up for a free account. Then get 20% off when you're ready to upgrade to Grammarly Premium. That's Grammarly.com slash podcasts.